Listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Welcome to another week in the Metal Matters saga. Cleveland hardcore definitely has a vibe. Evil, apocalyptic, darkly metallic, in cold blood along with integrity and ringworm, stand in the forefront of this vicious style of hardcore punk. Blaze Tishko of Cold Blood joins us this week. We talk about their new album, Legion of Angels, and the grind of the last few years and the ordeal of getting this record out. Before we get started, I just want to thank everyone for listening. I say this every week, but it's true. It means a lot to me that you guys listen. We're having a lot of fun getting some good stuff out there. So yeah, if you dig the show, please tell your friends, share it on social media, and all that sort of stuff. If you want to hit me on Facebook, it's Michael Hill. On Instagram, Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. Congratulations on a new record, man. I heard the the whole thing, and uh, I got to say... It's probably my favorite in Cold Blood record. Well, thanks. I know. It's, it's kind of a you know, record that comes out quite a bit after the band's inception. Uh, a lot of times it's not really, uh, doesn't live up to the past. But I think this is like a record that I've, I've listened to it maybe three or four times since uh, Jerry sent it over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely a little bit different than the Victory release from, you know, what is it, 21 years ago at this point, I think. But, you know, it's like I was telling somebody the other day, I think it's, you can kind of hear towards the end of that record, and maybe not the linear song end of the record, but just the end of the writing process that we had for that record that we were kind of starting to veer off into a little more of a, I don't know, I guess, technical side. We were just, we were getting a little bored with the timing structures and stuff like that. Yeah, there's definitely more of like, um, I would say like musicianship going on in the new record, yet it's still brutal and it still sounds like the band, you know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure recording it at Mars doesn't hurt much when it comes to that, even though his recording tactics have changed a little bit or, or whatever. It's still the same, we still the same soundboard that we recorded the, the first record on, but but that definitely helps a little bit too. Now, let me ask you about that, since you brought up Mars, Mars Recording Studio. Um, I got some intel that this is possibly the last release that Bill Karecki is going to be recording at Mars Studios. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. Um, I had a friend that came in after me. He brought all, all, the, all the recording equipment was gone at that point. He, had only just, he was just using, basically just used the building and his own recording equipment. But as far as Bill actually pushing the buttons and being in control and, and using, you know, the, the same board that everybody recorded on and everything. It was definitely, it was the last one. And, um, 
<laughs> I kid with Bill that, you know, we kind of like, we kind of helped make, make him in the music world. The helps. I mean, it's his best, a little bit of a stretch, even as it is because Bill definitely made himself. But, um, but at the same time, we like kind of made him retired too. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's basically what happened, you know. I mean, granted, the music industry is not like it was in the '90s too. So I think that also had a big uh, played a big role in it. But uh, yeah, I think we drove him crazy enough that that he realized he'd had enough of our shenanigans and our shitty playing. <laughs> Because a lot, of, a lot of those Cleveland bands, like you know, pretty much that whole scene for the most part, that was like the go-to studio for everyone. Like, in tech. oh, for sure, yeah. I would think, I would think it's at least like ninety-five percent, maybe even more than that, of anything known, you know, hardcore metal-wise that came out of Cleveland came out of that studio. Now, there's kind of a story behind Legion of Angels. Uh, I mean, apparently, from what I heard. The record was recorded over a very long period of time. Yeah. Yeah, it was about two years. Two years. Maybe even a little bit more, actually. Now, were there, were there like, some lineup changes and things like that? Or, like, what, what was the, uh, you know, was, was it a well, process? Or? The same guys that, that started in Cold Blood, or the, the, the majority of same guys that started in Cold Blood, the drummer, the drummer that played on Hell on Earth, he hasn't really been in the band for over 20 years. Um, but you know, me, Aaron and Lenny and Rob or who had been playing, um, drums in a cold Blood too. Uh, we were in another band and we were, we basically had recorded this whole thing and it was a process to get to that point. And we broke up in the studio. Um, just, I think we just reached ahead. You know, I probably can be to blame for some of it too. I, I think I was. I was getting to a, I was the only investor in the band, so I was getting a little anxious that things weren't going as fast as I wanted them to be, and I had put a decent chunk of change behind the band. And that missed the pressure of succeeding, I think. And, you know, Aaron, is, he's one of my oldest and greatest friends. I think we just kind of reached a point where we couldn't really work together anymore. But like I said, I'll take the majority of responsibility for that because usually Aaron's a pretty easygoing guy, but for some reason I, I must have gotten under his skin. That being said, you know, so we basically, so we did the whole thing um, for the most, well, not the whole thing, I should take that back. We basically recorded the drums. Um, we got through the drums, um, it disintegrated after that, and um, and then uh, I, slowly over time, I kept going back to Mars a little bit and, you know, doing little parts here and there. I mean, I love the songs. I was really fascinated with how, you know, I, I thought we'd done a, we had done a pretty good job and achieved the goals that we wanted to. You know, we were kind of had used Ride and Lightning as kind of a, a model of what we were trying to achieve, I guess. And great, it doesn't really sound like it at all, I guess. But, um, you know, like I said, I just, I love the song and I wanted to see him get done. Um, but I didn't want it to be, I wanted a band to be behind it. And so that was probably a, the, the major reason why it took so long to finish because I just, I just felt it was kind of silly just to make a record and not have it be an actual band. Um, so yeah, so it probably took from the time we did the drums, you know, from the time we broke up until it was finished and mixed and you know vocals and everything um, it was probably like two and a half years. I had to train myself to yell. It was something that I dabbled in a little bit, but never really did. And um, I tried to we tried to reconnect with these guy and Jason who would sing on the first record, and it looked for a time like maybe there was going to be a chance that he was going to do it. It just didn't really work out. 
And so after having so many, I just, you know, it just it seemed like we always swam up, swam upstream with singers. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And uh, I locked myself into a room for six months and yelled. I <laughs> just tried to yell in time and yell in key. And then I tried to, you know, then in turn I tried to, you know, once I got the guys in the band, then we started rehearsing with, uh, actually it was a little bit before that, there was two incarnations really. Uh, one incarnation with guys from Columbus, and those guys really taught me how to like. Um, they taught me how to just get the most out of practice, and I really kind of got a little bit more comfortable with with yelling and playing too. And um, but it didn't quite work out with them. And uh, then I ended up getting together with a whole bunch of guys from Cleveland, and and it got a lot more comfortable. And here we are, and it's probably been you know we're probably close to three years since since that uh, since we broke up in the studio. Now, singing, was that something that, you know, you'd always wanted to do as a, you know, I mean, because it's different doing backup vocals and, you know, singing here and there, but actually carrying the weight of the lead vocals for an entire album. Is that something that... Absolutely. I never had any aspirations to do it ever. <laughs> I think a lot of, you know, some of my friends, I should say, kind of always, you know, they, they definitely always wanted to do that. Me, never. You know, in fact, I, you know, the band had before that, and, you know, I actually was doing it kind of out of necessity or whatever. And I just was like, I just didn't feel I was very good, you know. And um, at the time, I had a lot of stuff going on. I, I owned a business. And I had family, uh, a wife, and, you know, stuff that just, it's just life stuff was, was sucking me dry, really. And I was like, and so I went on and got a singer, and that didn't really work out. So, um, yeah, no, I really did not want to at all. You know, I mean, most of the bands I've ever liked, besides death i guess maybe i'm sure i can find some more if i look a little bit have i thought some more about it but um you know most of the bands i liked were you know they had front men yeah. people that were kind of commanding the crowd and, and whatever it's kind of it's difficult to do that when you have to play too um but it's there's not the pool in cleveland was it, it was pretty dry you know i didn't really have um there wasn't much to choose from there was one guy that came down and it did a pretty good job um, but by that time, that ball had kind of already got rolling with me doing it, and, and it just made sense after a while. You know, even though it was something I was comfortable with two, three, four years ago, I I look forward to it now. I do, I do like doing it. A lot of it had to do with like just like learning to not have practice be a party. You know, like back in with with I mean, those Aaron and Lenny were old old friends. We've been in bands since the mid '90s, um, and we've been hanging out even before that. And so, you know, it would always be practice was a party. You know, you get there, there's beers, there's whatever, and it's social time and whatnot. And, um, you know, when I learned that that was non-productive, then things changed dramatically. Um, and not a knock on them. I mean, people do whatever the hell they wanted to, you know, but I had never done that. You know, I was probably, when I was in my 40s, when I realized, like, hey, this is kind of cool, actually. You know, like, <laughs> do this for an hour and a half and get shit done. And, and we've got, look how much better we've got, you know, instead of eating it out for six months or eight months or whatever. <laughs> sure, we had a lot of fun, but we didn't make much progress. <laughs> yeah. Did, uh, do you write the lyrics too? Or, you know, you get, since you're the same. Um, so, uh, the, I wrote more, uh, the lyrics. I know Aaron had written a lot. Um, the, uh, actually, Jason Popson would, you know, the time that we were, um, working on maybe doing something. He even wrote like a couple lines and some parts. 
Um, another guy had wrote and written maybe just a couple lines, nothing crazy, but um, the majority of the lyrics were, were me and Aaron. Uh, Aaron had written, I think Aaron wrote two or three songs on the record, and he had lyrics for his songs, and then I wrote all the lyrics for my songs, and for the ones that Rob wrote. Rob also wrote a couple songs, too. And uh, so I would say I wrote the vast majority of them, you know, 70, 80 percent, something like that. So now that the record's done, how do you feel? Do you feel like this big weight's been lifted off your shoulders or, you know, are you satisfied oh, with yeah. everything? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it was such a process. And it, it, the process of getting the record done, the process of having to deal with, you know, here's some of my best friends and some of the only guys I've ever been in bands with that all of a sudden don't want to be in a band with me anymore. You know, that was kind of a kick in the dick for sure. It was like, geez, oh, man, like, what the frig is wrong with me? <laughs> So, you know, that was that was that was disheartening and it took me a little while to to stop feeling sorry for myself and to pull my head out of my proverbial ass and the kids kinda of get back on the horse, you know. It would have been real easy and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, that's not why I'm saying this, but it would have been pretty easy just to be like, you know what, screw this, I don't need this, whatever, but I have this sometimes this weird determination that, you know, that's it's it sometimes makes me it, I make bad decisions sometimes with my weird determination. You know, maybe the, I would imagine that the financial decision would have been to run away. But um, at the same time, you know, I don't know. I just, I had to see it through. I had to see it through to the end. I had to see it get pressed. I had to, I just need, I, had, I mean, the, the main reason was I loved I really thought that we had done it. We had, we had achieved what we set out to do. Um, and on and over time, I had a friend, I reconnected with an old friend and he had weird hours just like I did. So, you know, at three in the morning, it was six in the morning for him or nine, actually, I think. And, you know, we just started talking through shit and he kind of pulled me, you know, he helped, he helped me a lot because I was, I was definitely in a bad spot for a long time. And he just kind of helped me give me the confidence to get my head out of my butt and, and, and move forward. You know, eventually I did, and I got lucky enough to find some guys that were big for, you know, they were fans of the band, and they, they really liked, liked the band, and and I enjoyed being with them, so it worked out good. Now, that's a good deal, man. I, I love hearing stories like that, because, you know, when, when you're in a scenario like that, especially in the studio, when the band, you know, things kind of fall apart, and... Yeah. It's easy. It would have been so easy just to be like, fuck it, it's over, I'm gonna burn all this shit, I'm done, and then... Yeah. Even despite all that stuff, even though it took like you know some time, the record's finally done and it's going to be coming out next month, right? So what's the release date? Yeah, August August twenty third. Oh, great! So this is going to August twenty third. Physical copies are on August. Yeah. Yeah. This this episode will be out right around the time the record comes out, so that's cool. So. Uh, oh, perfect. Yeah, mm -hmm. kind of worked out, you know. Fantastic. Now, now, uh, there's another question regarding the video because that video came out like, like almost a year ago, I think, right? For retro yeah, sales. Yeah, last April or end of March of last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So when you guys shot that video and it came out, did you have the idea of this record being released at some point? Was all that stuff in place, or was it just the oh video? yeah? I mean, I had assumed that I had thought that that when we were like getting ready to finish it at that point, I mean, the music had been done. Um, when we did, when we finished, when we put that video out, the music was definitely finished. It, it didn't need vocals on the whole thing. And I was still cutting my teeth on it a little bit, you know, getting a little more comfortable with it. 
Um, but there was a different group of guys in the band. I had hooked up with these guys from Columbus. I don't know if you've built kind of proximity to Cleveland and Columbus, like three hours yeah, away or like whatever. Two or three hours. So I was driving down, I was driving down there to, to practice with those guys. And that's how they, you know, that's kind of how I learned how to, you know, practice sober, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, and, um, it, but it didn't work out. You know, those guys, they had a couple of the guys, the one guy was a great musician. And, and it was a dream scenario for me because those guys, they could sing and play guitar or yell and play guitar, I should say. And that was always what I wanted. And I wanted to be able to have like a three-headed monster attack as far as vocal concerns, so we didn't get stale. Um, but it's just, you know, we started booking shows out of town and out of country and whatever. It, it just didn't work out for those guys. So then I was just without a band again, um, which was the part of the reason for the, another delay in, in releasing the record. Um, but, you know, like I said, when I hooked up with the, with Ryan, Connor, Sean, that, then that was when I really got inspired to go in and, and just finish it, you know. I, but I, I felt like we, it, was, it was finally in a good fit. I mean, for one, the guys were three hours away. That sort of helped. Yeah, because when you got to travel that far, you tend to yeah. focus a little bit. Yeah, more. so with that video, the, the majority of it will, it's actually going to get re, um, um, re-recorded or re, not re-shot. It'll get re-edited, I should say. Oh, okay. It's going to get re-edited because the guys in the band that were in the, in the band at the time were in that video, so... Okay. We'll probably just edit guys out. And they actually had saying on it, too, so they already got edited out um, on the recording. So how did you hook up with uh, Fast Break Records? I've known those guys forever. Um, at least 20 years, maybe more. Um, especially Richie, Chris. I know Chris Mahmood isn't really part of the record label, but um, he's uh, friends with those guys, obviously. He's real close friends with them. And, uh, I, I've known him forever. Um, we, Tony Sharada actually was the one who had, um, kind of come to me about it. And cause I, we had had a kind of a, a semi, um, pleasant deal with another band that we had and we kind of blew it. We didn't get to Arden in time. And, you know, they kind of looked at us like we were a bunch of idiots, which we most certainly were. Um, but uh, Tony had seen the video and was uh, he was impressed. He liked it. He liked what we were trying to do. And I think he liked the backstory of the band and where we were going. And and that was pretty much how we got this incarnation, you know, into uh, into the on, the on the fast break. A lot of it was Tony for sure. Um, but you know, I would imagine my longstanding friendship with those guys. I mean, they've always known me to be a semi stand up guy. I think at least you never know. Maybe they hate my gut. Just never said it. <laughs> no, no, we've always got along pretty good, actually. I've always felt like I, I, I haven't spent too much time in writing. Um, the little bit of time that I did spend out there, I was very impressed at how their scene operated. Um, it just seemed like it was guys that were real, you know. There was no no egos, really. I mean, I'm sure there are. I just didn't see it, maybe. But it, it just seemed like a stark contrast to what Cleveland is now. Uh, Cleveland at one point was pretty fantastic as far as that goes, but it's it's not that anymore. Yeah, it's funny. I hear that same story from uh, every everyone I talk to in different cities. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I guess, yeah. I guess, like the longer you stick around in a particular scene, that's that sort of thing develops over time. You know, I think it just gets like egos. You know, I mean, you've got things you know, a lot of people with these for deals for nothing. I mean. Big deal, you got a seven inch and three kids from Rhode Island like the record. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it's cool, it's great, it's the reason we do it, but at the same time, there's no reason to. I mean, you're 
are you going to work still? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you are, you're fucked, just like I am. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're driving home in a, in a two hundred thousand dollar car and you're going to your eight hundred thousand dollar house and you're not going to work the next day, then okay, you can have a little bit of an ego. <laughs> but in hardcore, yeah, really, <laughs> I just it's weird, and, I, and it's gotten worse instead of getting better. Now, when people talk about, uh, you know, Cleveland hardcore, uh, you know, the term uh, holy terror comes up, you know what I mean? And, okay. you know, and it's like, you know, I think of integrity, I think of ringworm, I think of in cold blood. Um, yeah. I mean, is there any, I mean, is there any sort of idea behind this or is it just a bunch of guys who are all into the same stuff? Then their bands are really a combination of metal and hardcore. Is, you know, is there any kind of like, uh, you know, people, you know, people like a concerted effort to like a plan, like a grand master plan. Yeah, is there a master plan behind that stuff? Because, you know, well, I think the grand master plan is probably Dwid. Um, I mean, <laughs> he certainly was the one that always had the vision and the, and the, uh, what else? How else would I say it? You know, he was just, he was the guy who was kind of the driving the bus on all that stuff. Um, because, you know, whilst we were very clever with the music and whatever, I don't think, you know, we kind of lacked a little bit of, uh, I guess I would say vision is probably the best word I would use to describe it, you know. At the same time, we were also a bunch of idiots, too, and didn't really appreciate what was going on around us, probably, which is probably one of the best things about what happened now is, is that, you know, you can kind of, I mean, I look back at what happened back then, and how much we took it for granted, what was going on, and, and, and we definitely did, you know, it's such a stoned out idiots to play, whatever man we don't care about uh, blah, blah, you know and now you look at it it's like jeez what were we thinking <laughs> you know we should have we should have taken advantage of everything you know just, just sucked it all up I guess really but yeah no, I think he was probably the visionary behind a lot of it you know and so and I think he helped propel the scene a lot because of that too and um, you know I, I mean he was certainly Back in the day, I'm sure there was a lot of people that had issue with certain things or whatever. But I mean, you can't deny the fact that without that guy's, you know, vision, I, I just don't know if Cleveland would have ever got put on. And, and really, integrity, I guess. I, I'm not going to put it all on. I think I think integrity was probably the major reason why people knew what was going on in Cleveland. And then, you know, we also back then it was it was a little more camaraderie too. You know, it felt like we were all supporting each other, and, and it was it was easy to do because we really liked each other's bands, you know, and that somewhere along the way, he was kind of snuck in there and, and it made it. So it wasn't, it's a shame too, because, because back, you know, the nineties and the internet. So, I mean, we were doing it by doing it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like we were just taking people's stuff and just reposting it on our page or whatever. You know, it was like, actually like, okay, let's get this band on the bill. Let's do this. Okay. Here's our friends band playing. Let's go get the pit. Da, 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 da. You know, somewhere along the way, that kind of thing went well by. You know, it's it's a shame, and it is what it is. And I hate to be, I don't want it to be old crotchety guy. Let's go back in the day, let me tell you. That's kind of stupid to look at that. I mean, you should really be looking forward, but I'd be a liar if I didn't say I missed it. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I remember back in the 90s, I was working in the in a warehouse of uh, for a record chain, basically, in Massachusetts. And, uh, mm. And I remember like the, you know, integrity being the entry point for a lot of that stuff for me. And, and mainly it's, you know, the artwork, the, you know, humanity is the devil, like all this kind of like intense, like imagery, like Charles Manson, like all this evil sure. like stuff. And then 
from that, I got interested in the Cleveland scene and then Ringworm and, of course, you know, in Cold Blood, you know, Hell, Hell on Earth came out in 1998. And, you know, so that, that was like, um, I definitely saw like a lot of similarities with the bands. And, um, you know, over the years, uh, you know, getting to know some of the guys, the thing that, the thing that I, I the thread that really kind of connected everyone was the fact that you guys all loved like 70s hard rock and oh, yeah. the Chromags, basically. Yeah, definitely. A lot of Chromags, a lot of Slayer. Yeah. A lot of Chromags, a lot of Slayer. That's, that's certainly, that's, that's integrity right there for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big time. And then, yeah, and then the 70s rock stuff. I got introduced to that from, mostly from like Frank Dominic, James Bullock, and those guys. Yeah. Warm guys. And, um, man, it was like a breath of fresh. You would never think that getting introduced to 70s rock in the 20s was going to be a breath of fresh air, but it definitely was for me. <laughs> you know? Because at that point, like, ring, or not ring, but hardcore had kind of gotten, um, kind of gotten stale, you know? It just seemed like it was, there were some people that were kind of going through the motions and just the new stuff that was coming out was, but kind of, I mean, I'm sure for some people it was great. For me, I was just kind of losing interest in it a little bit. But then here comes, like, you know, Frank with all these 70s records, but check this out. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't even know this existed. This is, you know, granted, it's a totally different style of music, but from like a musician's kind of standpoint, it was, it's, it's incredible. And it's still my favorite, probably, of, of anything. You know, if you gave me a choice to sit down and, you know, listen to a record, I'm, I mean, I've listened to Asia Coral probably 175,000 times at this point. So I probably would pick ELO over that just because <laughs> it's a little more, a little more, uh, sonically pleasing i guess sure. Sure. but um but uh, yeah yeah that was yeah we certainly that was that was cool it was a good time for sure you know getting going on tour and, and, and having frank was really good at exposing people to the new music and aaron was too really too i mean aaron was always kind of more like the celtic frost guy or, or whatever you know and yeah but that was definitely the love definitely a lot of chromatic <laughs> have um have the Melnick brothers ever done a band without each other? That's a question I actually have written down here. Um, they nothing. Yes, they have. Okay. Um, they certainly are symbian uh, form a symbian circle. Um, which is which is great if you're in the band with them. That's for sure. But uh, Aaron has a band called Fighter that Lenny's not in, and he's got another band that's like a punk rap band called Brainwash Youth, but. Usually it's 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 the the two the two Melnick attack the two Jew attack. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean those guys are I mean what's better than being in a band with your brother? I mean I guess it's unless you're fighting. <laughs> but I mean those guys can complete each other's sentences when it comes to on a, on a fretboard. You know I mean they just they just know especially Lenny because Lenny doesn't do much writing. Um, but you know Aaron can just this and it and he's. Even if even if Lenny doesn't play the exact part that Aaron wants him to play, he Aaron can explain it to him, and Lenny will pick it up in a second, and they just complete each other's thoughts musically. And the funny part is that Lenny and uh, Aaron's probably get mad at me for saying this, but Lenny might actually be a little bit better musician than Aaron, <laughs> but Aaron definitely has a little more uh, vision when it comes to writing, for sure, for sure. And he definitely he was. I mean, Aaron was a large part of me being me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it would be me without without him. And it's kind of like it's a weird thing because you know, Integrity was a monster influence on me. One of my favorite bands, still one of my favorite bands, and even 
you know, I probably put them up there right in front of ELO or something like that. It's top five all day. And then, you know, I ended up being in the band at one point and, and ended up being great friends with, with most of them or whatever. So it's a strange thing, but, you know, Aaron taught me a lot on guitar. I mean, I would not know shit if it wasn't great. Let me ask you a question about the uh, the name of the band. Uh, is that did all right? I've always want ever since I found out about it in Cold Blood. I was like, is that from the movie from the Truman Capote book? Like, what's the story? Yeah, about the name? it's from yeah, the it's from the Truman. It's it's from the Truman Capote book. Yeah, for sure. Aaron came up with the name. Cool. Um, and he just said, you know, it's, I think this would be a good name. It's about it's from the Truman Capote book, and, and I was like, okay, whatever you say, brother. You know, but yeah. Yeah, they came up with it, and that's where it came from. Yeah, I always think, when I think in the Midwest, I think of, uh, you know, serial murder, uh, home invasions, and things like that. So it definitely kind of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember... Yeah, the bomber's not too far away. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's prime uh, serial killer uh, territory. Yeah. That stretch of the... Yeah, he was, he was leaving too far from that game either. <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you about... Must be something in the milk. Must be something in the Wisconsin milk. There you go. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) No problem, man. So now, One Life Crew, misunderstood. What's the story with that? (laughs) I'm sorry, what was the question again? It was uh, One Life Crew. Yes. Misunderstood? Um, To tell you the truth, I kind of... I don't really have much of a comment. (laughs) It seems like these days when I say things it's the wrong thing and, and and whatnot those guys i just if it's okay with you i'd rather just steer clear of it Not seems no like I, I would love to tell you some really great stuff that's funny and hilarious but people take it the wrong way you know i don't agree um the reason i'm not in the band is because i don't agree with their philosophies you know i think they've i think it's the one thing I will say is this. I love the band. You know, I created the first record. Yeah. And uh, it was my dream come true. It was everything I wanted it to be. And then somewhere around 97, 96, something like that, it turned into a clown show. And, and I just wasn't really, kind of got silly. You know, it was like, if I'm going to be an Alice Cooper, I want to be an Alice Cooper. You know, I don't really, I don't. That's the one thing I can say about it. It's sad to me because I, I, I do love the stuff that I created with, with that. But uh, at the same time, I can't be associated with it. Fair enough. That's that's a you know that's a cool answer. I, you know, it's kind of okay. what I expected. Because uh, you know, I mean, we we did an episode about uh, Stormtroopers of Death and how that record could never come out in this day and age, just with. Oh God! Can you imagine? It's funny how like that stuff gets grandfathered in. Have you ever noticed that? I, Same with like Carnivore. The Carnivore record got grandfathered in. <laughs> oh yeah i mean and you know yeah. and uh agnostic front like there's you know on on um uh Vic, uh, not victim of pain uh cause for alarm there's some like oh yeah what was that what was the song uh uh public assistance yeah i mean no yeah. no one seems mm-hmm. to really uh sweat any of that stuff but i mean i, I don't yeah I think, I think i think it's like a time thing you know it's like okay it came out before what was carnival with 87 i think oh it came out 87 or it's okay <laughs> you know i think storm through sod was what 80 was that 87? That was, I think it was 86. Or 88. I think it was 86. 86. Was it was before Among the Living? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Because I think, I want to remember, I want to say that I got that cassette like when I was still in high school. And that's why I think it's 86. But it's, my, uh, I, I might it's, be wrong about that. But that, I mean, that band, I mean, that band especially, if you can't get the joke, 
geez, I don't know. <laughs> this is a joke. I mean, it's like two, what the, two guys are Jewish, right? Yeah. Two, Danny Loper and Scott Ian are Jewish. Yeah. yeah, Billy and two Dagos. <laughs> two Dagos and two Jews. And, um, yeah, I, 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 but you're right. To try and come out today, gee, oh boy, you can forget about it. <laughs> There's just no way. But I think that's a big problem, though, too. I mean, at one point in time, are people going to look at themselves and just not take themselves so fucking seriously? Jeez, oh man, does it really matter what color you are or what your ethnicity is? Or the, does it? I'm going to get it. It's easier when you say I'm like a white guy, you know. But, but I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I wish people just did not take themselves so seriously. It would be a lot easier place to live. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like when politics and art sort of get together like that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Sensitivity, like all this sort of stuff, because I think like, like my I'm a, I'm the, the mindset of like throbbing gristle or something like that, where anything anything that confronts people or provokes is is good. You know, I think that mm-hmm. you know Im- you can use any kind of imagery or any kind of you know any any method that you want to get reaction out of people and you know provoke people. I yeah, that's that's kind of like why I got into like punk and metal and hardcore and all that sort of stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, plus, and think about. I mean, when you got the punk, like punk did not have like political. Like people didn't have an R or a D in front of their name. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Is it? I mean, pretty sure like the R's and the D's are the establishment and the system. And I thought it was supposed to be anti-system. So I don't know how you can associate with that and be anti-system. It doesn't make much sense. To me. I want to uh, ask you about an old Cleveland band called Escalation Anger. Do you recall that band? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Aaron Dalton band. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mm-hmm. got a chance to see those guys like back in like before. I, I actually know Aaron really well, and um, oh, do you? Mm-hmm. I didn't know him at the time that I saw his band play. Then years later, I was like, yeah, you used to play in this band, and you guys were awesome. I thought, you know, one of the most solid guys in the Cleveland scene for sure. All day. He's. Uh, I I definitely enjoy that guy. So uh, I enjoy your company. He's a, he's a good guy. He's got a good soul. Um, I remember them a little bit. I'm sure we played, I know we played with them at least a couple times. They just played recently, but we did a union show like last year or something. I didn't go in for so I think I was working. But, uh, yeah, I remember them for sure. <laughs> for sure, it was good. I think Aaron does this usually pretty good. He's in a new band called Acting a lot, but the Morbid Angel meets Neurosis kind of thing. Oh, it was yeah. good. We're actually playing, yeah, we're actually playing with a couple more. I've seen them play. They're great, and uh, you know, I have their demo, and they got they got some you know a record coming out at some point yeah, soon. Guy's like a band. He's like a band hooker. I don't know. How, he, he's the only person who's in more bands than him is Chris Dora. <laughs> yeah, actually, all those guys, man. Like, um, you know, I don't know if you know Dana from Keel Hall. Like, he's in another. He's in a band yeah. with Aaron too. Yeah. Yeah, six kills nine. Yeah, I, I haven't actually heard that yet. yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. I've seen some. I've seen some stuff on the internet. That's about as far as I got so far. So what's on the horizon for you guys as far as uh, the records coming out in uh, the 22nd of August? Yeah, uh, so it's 23rd, 23rd. August 23rd, 23rd the okay. physical release comes out. We've got uh, three shows with All Out War. We're doing their record release show in their hometown in Poughkeepsie. Uh, and then two shows in Canada after that. That's the August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. We've got five shows with this band Fixation from Philly and Low End. And uh, Fixation is a kind of an up and coming real hardcore band. Um, interesting, do like 
kind of, it reminds me of like a cross between Youth of the Day and Infest, actually. Okay. And um, I'm pretty sure they're straight edge guys. I'm not positive, but it, they certainly have energy like straight edge guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to do that. That was a band that uh, I, I had heard. They were, they're on Andrew Strauss' record label. And I found it through that and listened to it and contacted him. I'm like, man, that band is actually really, really good. He was like, oh, here's a uh, before you know it, we're, we're going to go off to a short run with them. So uh, a couple short runs. Uh, and that, that one, I think, goes to Chicago or Gary, Cincinnati, Philly, New York, upstate New York, and then uh, Brooklyn, I think. Oh, cool. And we got a couple runs. Yeah, there's, yeah that, I think that's the last show of the tour, actually. I want to say it's the 31st of August. Um, so couple short runs, all out war, and then fixation and low end, and then a couple local shows or whatever, and then we're gonna start working on the on the next record. Um, we've already it's taken so long to do this one that we already <laughs> pretty much ready to go. No, that's awesome, um, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about that because uh, I was actually thinking today, kind of like a grand plan of how I'm gonna do it, but this next one will be a little more aggressive. Um, it actually will be a lot more aggressive. Probably a little bit shorter songs. Um, just more of a, just, I don't know, just kind of a wacky upside the head with the, I mean, there's not many things left riff-wise in music. You know, they've been gone for a long time. <laughs> you know, Tony Anomi took most of them. Uh, James Hetfield took the rest. <laughs> it was pretty much, and he didn't leave James much. Um, and Hanneman certainly took a lot of them, too. But, uh, you know, there's not much left as far as that goes, like riff-wise. It's, it's pretty much all going to be regurgitated. But what you have left is the way you structure the songs um, and the time changes and utilizing bridges um, to build up certain things and, and, and parts and whatnot. So I want to kind of, and that's pretty much what the approach for Legion of Angels, but I want to take that same approach and apply it to a little more aggressive philosophy, a little bit more um, 80s hardcore um, yeah, that's probably the best way I can describe it. So the next record will be more straight to the point, but with the same song structure idea of, you know, just not making, keep trying to keep it not boring. You know, four, 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 four timing is predictable, and you pretty much, I mean, that's what Age of Coral is. It's great. It's super catchy, you know, but it's already been done a million times at this point. Uh, so that's next on the horizon after the shows and stuff like that. We'll probably pop back in the studio and knock that out and, and then after that, you know, probably another record that'll be a little bit of a mix, and then I'll be dead. I'm going to be dead. Be <laughs> Where can everyone find you online? Like, you guys have, you know, Facebook, Instagram. All yeah, that. There's, yes. a, there's an In Cold Blood official uh, Facebook page, and then we have uh, In Cold Blood official Instagram also. So if anybody is looking to get a hold of us for whatever, I mean, obviously you can also find, get a hold of us through Fastbreak, um, any of their avenues, too. Well, it was great talking to you, Blaze, and uh, you know, good luck with everything. And um, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye out. I'm going to keep an eye out for that Brooklyn show. That definitely. Oh, perfect. Yeah, like I said, I think it's the it's it should, I think it's the 31st August. Okay. Do you know where you're playing at? Is it St. Vitus or the Kingsland or something? Um, like you know what? I'll be looking that up, and I will text it. I just posted it actually to our to our page the other day, but. I'll have to check that and make sure. I don't think it's St. Vitus. I think it's somewhere else. I'll find out, man. Believe me. I'll find out for sure. I will I will I will text it to you as soon as I as soon as I look on the thing here. Eh. Awesome. Well, anyway, Actually, you know what? I don't I don't think it says the venue to tell you this. I'm not sure. I mean I'm sure they have they have it booked, but I think it just says booked. 
it's probably St. Vitus, right? I mean, is that pretty much where everybody plays in Brooklyn? Yeah, there's actually um, another spot called the Kingsland, which is kind of in the same actually there's three venues kind of in that same neighborhood there's St. Vitus oh, really? place, the Kingsland and then there's a place oh uh, maybe it is you know what I think it is Kingsland actually I yeah, think they, you're right they just had uh, like Negative Approach played there with I Hate God and um, I mean there's like it's it's a spot like people definitely go there it's Lemoore's it's uh, yeah, well, it, it's not quite as big, but you know, it has that same <laughs> same sort of scummy vibe, you know. <laughs> oh, nice! I've never been there. I just, I mean, I've heard like so many stories about carnivore playing there and everybody else. Like, <laughs> and I wish I got to go there. Fuck, <laughs> yeah, Whiplash. I think Whiplash used to play there all the time. <laughs> oh, actually, the new uh, the new version of Leeway's got uh, a guy from Whiplash in it. There's like oh no shit really yeah it's pretty cool wow. Yeah, but a buddy of mine turned me on to that first Whiplash record, and I've been going crazy on Oh, yeah, man. They were great. Definitely. All right, man. So have a good night. And, uh, you know, once again, congratulations on the new record. And, um, yeah, I'll catch you guys uh, when you hit Brooklyn. Perfect. I will be there. All right, man. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, the Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Thank you.